but it's on whom are you depending how's it come to this well king hezekiah he's been playing politics he's um they've been under um like a, a puppet state if you like under assyria for a while uh they want out uh and rather than actually go to god uh he's turned back to egypt uh a smaller superpower for protection and for safety to save them and not working out so well they've forfeited on their promise the assyrian commanders question the question for god's people then and now uh on what are you basing this confidence of yours on whom are you depending to actually be there with you to save you when you die from a death that is coming and i don't know if you picked it up it's narrative but it's it's like we're sort of almost in a courtroom um and what's on trial in these chapters is faith in god and the faithfulness of god uh, the prosecutor well he's ramashaka he's this pagan leader who's there this sort of whiz, winsome charismatic well-spoken barrister who's just going for it he's he's pretty cocky too because he reckons he's he's got all of the sort of all the evidence is with him and it's a little bit like god's king and his people it's like they've all been put on the in the dock and they've got to defend their trust in god in the face of seemingly overwhelming evidence that their trust in an invisible god their trust in a god who doesn't seem to be anywhere around at the moment is pointless will they step out of the dock still trusting in god or will they step out having given up their faith in god and let's be honest isn't that isn't that the challenge the choice we all face every day as we put our head on the pillow as we as we wake up will we or won't we will we or won't we um when are we ever not in the dock but when is your faith and my faith never not being tested and on trial the loss of a child you know a chronic illness a diagnosis of cancer um sudden unexpected retrenchment at work or difficulties financial stresses uh maybe your inability to get a job um the loss of a loved one um the assyrian commander is is only got one goal he's trying to goad hezekiah and the people into surrender to giving up trusting in their god and so what follows is really clever propaganda really clever propaganda and the key question in his propaganda who's really in charge of this world look around you who's really in charge king sennacherib or hezekiah and his god now let me just give you um one interesting um observation not once does sennacherib's commander refer to hezekiah as a king he's just plain old hezekiah however sennacherib on the other hand he's continually referred to as the king the great king of assyria it's subtle who's the real king who's really in charge god's people they're lining the walls as we heard they're listening in uh with each word they're sort of that you, you know we can see their courage being drained out of them and they're sort of becoming more and more fearful to the point i mean the imagery here it's like they've lost their courage to the point that they're like a mother giving birth in labor and she's literally lost the courage and the energy to push the baby out like it's just a picture of just like of fear of scare they're scared 
And so King Hezekiah officials, they call out to the ramshackle, oh, look, can you speak just in the language that we'll understand? We'll go and tell the king. And he's got, no way, no way. Everyone's got to hear this because he knows that the real battle in any war is for the hearts and minds of people. It's to invoke fear and security that they'll give up their confidence, they'll lose their courage, and so they won't fight. You know, why, you know, World War II, and why do they drop bits of paper from the sky and all this? Again, it's, it's propaganda to try to undermine the confidence and the courage of the people in the fight. And friends, pretty clear that if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in this God, you're in a fight. We're all in a fight. And the propaganda, it just never stops coming. Verse 12, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? I mean, he's saying whatever he needs to say to invoke fear. Pretty strong language. We live in a propaganda world. People and powers, they're continually after our vote, after our allegiance. It's on again in earnest through the media. We shouldn't be surprised then at the crass and often offensive stuff that comes out of the mouth of pagan unbelievers, whether you know, they're scientists or politicians, comedians, journalists, teachers uh, or lecturers or family or friends. We shouldn't be surprised. It's been that way from the beginning. The Bible teaches that behind the people and their powers and their propaganda are the principles and the powers who are really after our souls and so from ephesians chapter 6 the apostle paul's wisdom to fellow believers finally if you do only one thing as a christian be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against not politics you know not not people at work not against the devil's schemes for our struggles not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil the unseen principles and powers and forces that are at work in our world and so what are the strategies then that are on view um, from from these principalities and powers that are always trying to trip us up and and sort of um, you know seduce us away from, from belief in God or well, point two uh, Satan's strategies the hidden foe and there's three um, the first is creating doubts creating doubts and um, the way Satan does this and it's beautifully um, pictured here is you notice how the ramshackle what he does is he keeps reminding them of their circumstances look around you you know and what he's trying to do continually is to take their focus off God and to put it on their immediate sort of circumstances, all the stuff that's here. Um, so in their anxiety and their fear, they'll give up trusting in God and, um, uh, and they'll surrender. The circumstances, uh, first, look at Egypt. They're weak. Where are they? Don't see them here. Why are you trusting in Egypt? They can't save you. Look at this, you know, this army, this, this military might outside your front door. Now, see, this sort of arrogance, um, very similar to the scientific humanists, um, uh, whether they're scientists or not, but just people who have that sort of uh, blatant, that arrogant sort of, um, you know, oh, look how weak the church is. You know, it's, people are disappearing, it's shrinking. Why do you bother? But look at the might of science and human learning. And you've only got to look at how even more we're just trusting in education to save the day. Um, and this is 
A quote from Richard Dawkins. Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, or perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. This creating doubt. Um, is this what I'm doing here this morning? You know, am I trying to, you know, we come here and am I part of a, a great deception? Is Jesus Christ the greatest con man to ever walk the earth? Are we all part of one big great deception? Last Saturday I did a four-wheel drive course um, with my brother-in-law and my dad. And um, one of the interesting things I learnt um, was that since 2012, every vehicle that's been made or imported into Australia uh, had to have something called active vehicle control. It goes by different names. Uh, what it is, is that if you're driving and you happen to sort of go into a corner a bit fast or whatever, you know, you, you do something stupid, the car will detect you're about to have an accident and will save you. It will just take over and, and will correct you. And I thought, really? And here's the thing that blew me away. If we got rid of every car that was older than 2012 in Australia accidents and injury would go down within weeks by how much do you reckon 40 percent 40 percent now i love science it's impressive but car technology saves me to die another day doesn't it as jesus said people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment uh, science it's a good gift like everything it's, it's a good gift to be used and appreciated properly but not to be made into a God. The Bible lays out substantial historical evidence, and there is a lot of evidence outside of the Bible for the truth of Jesus, for his death and for his resurrection from the dead. King Sennacherib's second argument that he gives to undermine trust in God, it's there in verse 7. It's there in verse 7. Uh, what have we got here? But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar and it's true he's, he's done that that is how can your god help you when hezekiah has destroyed the high places of worship now it's his own belief system he like non-christian belief systems today assyrians believe that to prosper in life one had to keep the gods happy the gods had to be appeased um, and that the best place to do that was in high places because that was nearer to where the gods supposedly dwelt and it's where the sacrifices and the gift and the money and all that stuff had to happen it's, it's where the priests live it's all that sort of stuff and so you see these sort of holy of holy places in in many of the world religions that they're actually in high places um, what's king sennacherib's commanded logic hezekiah you've removed all these high places of worship therefore your god must be very angry with you how can you be crying out to him for help we know that in fact from Isaiah in fact this is one of the good things that God is very pleased about one of Hezekiah's many great reforms where he's removed the high places and said now you've got to come into Jerusalem and worship God here even if the Assyrian commander's logic is faulty his propaganda it sounds so familiar doesn't it like verse um, verse 14 do not let Hezekiah deceive you again verse 18 do not let Hezekiah mislead you. Chapter 37, verse 10. What does he say? Say to Hezekiah, king of Judea, do not let the God you depend on deceive you. See? Not just Hezekiah, but your God. He challenges and says, God, the Christian God, the biblical God, is a con man. It's a deception. It's a lie. Like all good propaganda, there's some truth. 
But as I've just shared, this truth, it's twisted truth. Hezekiah has been coming to, Isaiah has been coming to Hezekiah for years saying, Hezekiah, why are you turning to Egypt? Why why are you going to Egypt? Turn to God. Like there's there's truth in in what this guy's saying. But notice how he's focusing on their circumstances, directing attention away from God. Things look really bad, guys, therefore God cannot be trusted. And that brings us to that more direct challenge where he challenges uh, faith in God um, and God's faithfulness to keep his promises. So let's pick that up in verse uh, 14, 13 and 14. Um, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Again, it's a direct challenge to God and his promises. God is a God. He doesn't keep his promises. You can't trust him. He doesn't really have your best interests at heart. God doesn't really care about you. Look at your life. You're sick. You're lonely. You still don't, you're still not married. You're unfulfilled. You're, unpo- you're unemployed. Um, or one of your kids doesn't want to know you or giving up the faith. or just, but Whatever it is, you know, God doesn't really care about you. You can't trust God. And, of course, this has been Satan's strategy from the opening. The first time that Satan came to the first human beings in history, there were words of... God doesn't really sort of, you know, have your best interests at heart. It's to undermine that God really cares. But also the commander, you notice he undermines and challenges God's power that he's not able to save. He's not able to help. Verse 20. Verse 20. Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hands? Look around you. No God has saved them. Why should you think that your God will save you? And now again, good propaganda, there's truth. That the gods of the nations are the gods of man's imagination, the gods of stone and wood, uh, that they are powerless to save. He's dead right. But very different when you talk about the God of history, the God of scripture, the true and living God who has shown and demonstrated time and time and time and time again that he is able and mighty to save. The third strategy Satan uses to undermine our confidence is that life is better. Look, life will be so much better for you guys if you just give up trusting in your God and, and, and come and you know, join with us. And so he puts out their alternatives, sort of seduces with counterfeits and... Look at verses 16 and 17 and notice as I read these out how it's very similar to the sort of the blessing language that God has promised Israel when he, when he would bring them into the land. So verses 16 and, uh, and, and 17. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree. You'll drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Come on, come back to Syria. We'll give you your own, your own uh, quarter acre and you'll be happy as Larry. Um, uh, only problem is um, God's spent a fair bit of effort bringing his people into the promised land, hasn't he? <laughs> see, see how this is completely opposite? 
to God's purposes, his promises. He's offering them a future. Um, Look around you guys, destruction, death, uh, fear, it's everywhere. We're going to give you employment, security, uh, produce, a land. You'll be satisfied, you'll be happy. Sounds fantastic. And of course, any any God-like promises that human beings make, um, really, really short on implementation, on delivering on the goods. And I wonder if you've ever had that, where you've, you've put your hope in another human being for this great whatever future, whether it's a job or whatever, and you think, oh, jeez, it's not as good as what I thought. Didn't tell me about all this other stuff. Um, and that's because we're made in the image of God, and we're, we're, just, we're never able to deliver um, the life that only God can deliver. This is the lifestyle lure. Australian commentator Hugh Mackay, this is his latest book, um, Beyond Belief. How we find meaning with religion or without it. You know, again, this is great propaganda. Um, I know it's good having the church as part of Australian society. It's good we need the church. But um, it's it's not much of use, really. You want to be happy or you can just be as happy if not happier outside of the church if you don't believe in God or or, or whatever. Uh, And um, it's a helpful read because insight to who we need to be and can be I think, as God's people uh, for Australia today. But it's sort of how to be happy and healthy and moral, you know, whether you're part of a church or not, or whether you believe in God or not. Uh, We live in the lifestyle capitals, you know, of the world, these cities. You know, how many of our TV shows are better homes, better gardens, better houses, better renovations, how to retire well, where to go on a holiday, um, life and fitness shows, uh, and and all that sort of stuff, Um, and my son is offering uh, for blokes a PT on Sunday morning, so just uh, speak to him about that. But as Jesus warns, as Jesus warns in his parable of the soul, it's the world we live in. You know, the parable of the soul, what does he say? All these things, they're good gifts from a very good and generous God. But all good gifts have the potential to become weeds and choke and choke you, choke the life out of you because it chokes God's word out of your life. When you make those good things into God things, when they start keeping you away from here on Sundays or your group or from reading your Bible or or whatever is going to keep you away from hearing the word of God. So look, the big question for us, uh, it's important we hear all this, I think, and the challenges. And, and let's be real, it's really challenging. It's it's one of the hardest things, I think the hardest thing to continue on as a as a a Bible-believing Christian in this world. What's the godly response? The godly response. Well, it's really easy, trusting God. Oh, it's really hard. (laughs) Isaiah presents contrast between King Isaiah, who fails to trust God, way back in chapter 7, and King Hezekiah, who sort of, I think, is a model for Judea and and actually for, for all of God's people of what it means to trust God when you're really under the pump to trust God in a world that is very against God and especially when you feel like your back's against the wall. And he just does three things, three very ordinary things that are everywhere in the Bible. Um, The first thing he does in chapter 37 verse 1, he comes humbly. He comes humbly before God. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, went into the temple of the Lord. Um, That is, it's been a while, the guy went to church. He went to where God's word was read. Uh, it's, it's, it was God's designated meeting place. Of course, you don't have to go to church to meet with God, but we come to do it as God's people. 
uh, here. He's humbled, he turns to God. It's simple, yet it's hard um, because it means admitting that, God, I'm right, uh, I'm wrong and you're right. Uh, it's, it's swallowing your pride. Um, God, I need your help. Uh, in fact, I need more than your help. Um, I, I just can't do this at all on my own. Now, it's important to understand, I want you to go home before you go to bed tonight or before you, you know, Monday morning, um, read chapters 38 and 39. Uh, it's, it's sort of, it's where the camera is put on Hezekiah during this time, okay, during this time um, where he gets really sick and he nearly dies. Um, and uh, chapters sort of 30, 38 and 39 is sort of like, it's the slowdown here of chapter 37, 1 and, like, and 2. It's like, it's like the backstory of actually what's going on in Hezekiah's life, what actually God uses to humble him. Uh, and to humble him, God needs to bring him almost to the point of death, uh, to finally swallow his pride, to finally turn to God. And there's a beautiful um, a phrase where it says, finally Hezekiah, he turned and faced the wall and prayed. And, and it's, it's that sort of, as narrative does, it's, it's like he turns his whole life, to the wall and as he does that he's finally humbled he turns to god and prays god save me god you win god you're right i'm wrong of course who who you and i turn to in a crisis tells people around us a lot about our, our belief and our faith who you turn to in a crisis reveals a lot Hezekiah is turning to the wall, he's turning to God. Uh, we need to keep humbly turning to God. The second thing he does after humbling himself is he turns to God's word. He turns to God's word. He sends messenger to the prophet Isaiah. Tell me God's word. Tell me God's word. It's simple but profound. He stops listening to the ramshackle. He stops listening to the words of the world, turns it off, turns off the TV, turns off the right. He turns it off and he turns to God's prophet. He turns to God's word. And when we're tempted not to trust God, this is what we've got to remember always to do, even when you don't feel like it. Oh, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to turn to God's word. I've got to come to church. Um, it keeps us strong. It keeps us going. It holds encouragement. Um, uh, it is, you know, it's the only light to, to help um, lead us to God and eternal life with him. It's full of compassion. Uh, it's full of truth. It's full of understanding. That's why the, the Bible is such a big part of our life here. It saddens me when I hear um, evangelical churches, or at least in name, who once used to have public readings of scripture and preach through passages, how they've ditched all that. They don't do it anymore. Boy, it saddens me because they're one step closer um, to not being, I think, a biblical community of faith. A third step to saving faith, depending on God in prayer, depending on God in prayer. Um, and prayer, of course, is an expression of trusting in God. It's, it's one of those simple but hard things to do, prayer, isn't it? <laughs> to sort of, okay, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going I'm to read, I'm going to pray you know, for half an hour and put all those other to-do lists off to one side. Because to pray to God... Uh, it's that simple expression is 
it's that childlike thing of just utterly being utterly depending on God and showing people, showing God that we are utterly depending on Him. We're asking God for things that only He can deliver on. But just this is what I want us just to have a look at the end of the the chapter here. Just chapter thirty-seven, verses sixteen and seventeen. Just Hezekiah's prayer. Uh, it's just magnificent. Um, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, hear, open your eyes. Lord, see, listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Verse 20, now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. It's magnificent, isn't it? Magnificent. And wow, how far Hezekiah has come. It is a prayer for rescue, save me and save your people. But notice it's top and tailed with God. um, And his greatest concern is for God's kingdom, for God's glory, for God's honor it's not hesitant like oh god um, I, I really hope you're listening and you know it's not, it's not it's not like having a bet each way it's confident god i pray to you as the god who is the god of heaven and earth i know you are listening defend your honor save your people humble these people outside of our walls who are so opposed to you and your people hear their mocking and their ridicule it's a great prayer it's a prayer that reveals here's a guy who's he's, he's come back and realized, oh, you've, you're the one with the power. Why didn't I pray to you sooner? Here is the confidence of faith. Who cares about an Assyrian army? Who cares uh, about uh, people or maybe a boss at work who hates Christians and so hates you? Who cares? Who cares about uh, a secular board who seem to be opposed to our being at the hub? Who cares? Who cares about a media that is opposed to Christianity and believers? God, you are Lord Almighty. God, you alone are the creator, the sustainer, the ruler. You're sovereign over every heart, every nation. I sometimes wonder if when we pray, we forget who it is we're praying to. It's a Lord Almighty. <laughs> Biblical prayer, it's aimed at turning us inside out. And that's what's happened here. Hezekiah has been turned from his own little problems. He's turned inside out and all his attention is on God and his concern is for God's honour and for his glory. And for the record, what did we hear? God heard his prayer. What did Isaiah say? This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid of what you've heard. I will make this king want to return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with the sword. And I'll tell you what, what's the worst way for the parents here? What's the worst way to go? Isn't it when the hand of your own kids turn against you? He dies by the hand of his own sons. God is sovereign. He's in control. Um, It's a divine intervention. The angel of the Lord wiping out tens of thousands of troops. Bang, like that. It's scary. God is faithful, always keeps his word. He keeps his word, he saves. He also keeps his word to those who continue to shake their fist at God. So there's there's encouragement and there's warning here. God is faithful, he keeps his word. God can be trusted. And friends, how much more evidence do we have? Do we have to trust in God? Uh, The evidence, 
of God the Son coming, giving everything up to die on the cross for us to show how much God cares. The empty tomb there to show us how much God is able. He's even able to raise the dead. He can overturn any human decision, any human verdict, because he's God and he always keeps his promises. So, for those of us here this morning who are fellow Christian pilgrims, and maybe you want to come one, I hope you do. We do not need to fear stepping into the witness box ever. Because we've got God on our side. You never need to fear opening your mouth to testify, to give a reason for the hope you have, however imperfectly it comes out. You never need to fear. You never need to fear continuing to invite non-Christians to, a, to an event even though you've had seven knockbacks in a row. Because you've got God in your corner. You've got God on your side. And God will always save who he's wanting to save. Our job is to be faithful, is to trust God. And so the takeaway, it's really simple. I've written it down there in your leaflets. Uh, whether you're just starting out in life or starting out in the Christian life. Whether you've been, you're in the middle of life or in the middle of life as a Christian. Uh, or whether uh, you're nearing the end of life. Trust God. Stick with God who has the victory for us in Jesus. Uh, you know, get, get real. If you're looking for sort of a life where you're not going to be squeezed by the world uh, and, and, and propagandized and, and, and sort of mocked, and if you're looking for that, if you're looking for easy street Christianity, I think you, better, you have to get on a spaceship and fly somewhere else because you're not going to find it in this world. No, no, we've got to keep turning to God to ask him to be being squeezed and moulded and shaped by his word uh, to, to help us uh, to keep travelling on the way, the narrow way. Whether life is good at the moment or hard or in between uh, or whatever is coming your way. Uh, living life in this world, there's always all weather patterns, um, the good times and the stormy times. Uh, but whatever time, trust God, stick with God who has the victory for you and for us all in Jesus. And so what I want to do, I want to finish by focusing on Hezekiah's prayer. It's a magnificent prayer, his primary concern being God's reputation, honour and glory. And I don't know if you picked it up. It's a version of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name. Do whatever it takes so that you'll be rightly honoured and glorified, Lord. Your will be done. Father in heaven, defend your honour and glory. Defend your name. Your name is being knocked in the media. Father, hallowed be your name. Your name and your people are being increasingly ridiculed and mocked and spoken of as evil by comedians and politicians and atheists and gay lesbian lobbies and all manner of people. And it's only going to get worse. Father, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name. Father, Christians in Syria, in Northern Africa, in China are being persecuted, killed, imprisoned. Father, hallowed be your name. I'm sick. I'm dying. I'm alone. I'm scared. I'm stressed out. Father, hallowed be your name. I can't get a job. I can't even pay the bills. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Friends, we're never on sure ground in our prayers when we orientate our prayers around God, the king who is in charge, when we keep looking to Jesus and when we pray prayers that always have as their highest concern God's honour, God's glory in our lives. 
How about we finish by praying the Lord's Prayer together now? If you don't know it, chance for you to learn it. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. keep reflecting and thinking about um, the song we're about to sing. It's kind of a prayer asking for God's help to live a life that honours him. So if you'd like to stand and we're going to sing, here we stand. <laughs> 